Some of you may have heard of uh, this person. Uh, Her name is Pamela Meyer, and she has made it her life's work to become an expert in lying. Not telling them, but in studying them, in understanding lies, in understanding why people lie, in understanding how people lie, in understanding how often people lie, understanding what what, what are people doing when they lie, what, what physical characteristics do they have, what traits do they show when they lie. She wrote a book. It's called Lie Spotting, but you may have heard of her more through YouTube. She's got a a video on the lies that we tell, or or how to spot a lie, I think is what it is. But it's got 16 million hits, okay? Hold on here, I'm not, something's not going. Tom, is there, are you doing that or am I? You are? Okay. Can you pull out the other USB that's in the back? There might be one in the, uh, no, it's, maybe it's not there. Steve, you want to try that? I'm sorry. I didn't plan this, really. I'm not lying. Uh, (laughs) Let me tell you what it's going to say up there. Um, We'll try to reset this and so on. One of the conclusions she made is that we all lie. Even the most honest among us lie with some regularity. She said that the average person, the average person tells between 10 and uh, lies between 10 and, and 200 times a day. If you are very, very honest, you probably tell only 10 lies a day. Some of us are thinking, come on, I don't tell that many lies a day. The fact is we do it all the time. Some are small, some are big, but we lie with regularity. Some people lie as much as 200 times a day. And, and if you meet someone new during an initial conversation, during the first 10 minutes of interaction, uh, you will lie to each other each three times. <laughs> Uh, three times when strangers meet, they lie to each other three times in the first 10 minutes, unless you're a visitor here and you meet somebody from Hillside, because they're not going to lie to you. I was thinking, I can't say this. Every visitor is going to be like, are you lying to me? I mean, you talk to somebody after church. No, this is a church. We don't lie in the building. No, I mean, no, right? I mean, we lie, and we all lie. I still don't have... So there we are. Should we just do that? I'll try to tell you when to, to move forward, or do I have it now? Nope. All right. We all lie. Tom will figure it out. Um, I want to focus on a special group of lies this morning. Okay. I want to focus on a, a specific group of lies that we tell. And those are the lies that we tell when we're doing something wrong. Should we try this one? We'll see if that, the lies that we tell. Okay. The lies that we tell when we do something wrong. One of the times, one of the main times we lie is, is when we've done something wrong, when we've done something bad, when we've done something we shouldn't do, and, and, and we lie about it, right? We lie to cover it up. One of the main lies we tell is, it wasn't me, right? It, it wasn't me. We don't teach our kids to say this, but by the time kids are three or four years old, they already know these words. We want them to say, mommy and daddy, but one of the first phrases they learn is, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. My sister did it. She did it. He did it. And, and it doesn't matter. We lie in order to, to cover up our guilt. And, and it's interesting that uh, Myers points out that it's not just human beings who lie like this. Some of you may have heard of Coco the gorilla. Coco is a gorilla raised in captivity. She's 46 years old now, still alive, 47 maybe now. Um, but she was raised in captivity, and she learned sign language. Okay? She learned how to, how to communicate through sign language. She has over 1,000 signs, words, or phrases in her vocabulary. And so she's able to communicate with people and, and, and with those who've worked with her. And, and one of the things that she communicated at one point was that she wanted a pet. Okay, she wanted a pet, and what she wanted was she wanted a, a, a kitten for a pet, okay? And, 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 and so she did that, and Coco got a kitten, and she took great care of the kitten, 
All right, she, she loved the kitten. She took great care of the kitten, but she was willing when push came to shove to throw the kitten under the bus, not literally, but, but figuratively, because at one point, Coco, when nobody was around, she ripped the sink out of the wall. Coco, 280-pound gorilla, ripped the sink out of the wall, and then they came and they signed to her and they said, who broke the sink? And, and with just the most honest look a gorilla can have on a face, a gorilla signed, the kitten did it. The kitten, I mean, here's a gorilla's lie. Who knew, right? Now we know gorilla's lie. She somehow had a sense she was going to be in trouble with this. So she said, it wasn't me. It was a kitten. It was a kitten did it. It wasn't a very smart lie, but it was a lie. And we do that. When we've done something wrong, we lie. And again, almost always the first lie is it wasn't me. It wasn't me. If there's irrefutable proof, if we've got it on video camera, whatever, if we have to admit it was us, then there's another lie that we sometimes tell ourselves. And again, sometimes it wasn't us, and sometimes this next one is true, but a lot of times it's a lie, and that was, it wasn't my fault. You need to understand that it wasn't my fault. I mean, if Coco had been a little more developed, then Coco might have said, uh, well, it, it, it was the kitten. She was underneath the sink, and I had to save her life because the, the sink was going to fall on her, and so I'm actually the hero in this. Or, or Coco might have said, you know, it was the dripping. You never fixed the sink. Drip, drip, drip. It was the dripping. It drove me mad. I had to rip the sink out. I had no choice. Right? You and I do that, right? It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. If my wife had been more affectionate, then I wouldn't have done that. If my boss paid me fairly, I wouldn't have had to steal from work. If she hadn't called me four eyes, I wouldn't have pushed her in the pool, right? All of us do. It wasn't my fault. We come up with these circumstances to say, okay, maybe I did something, and maybe it wasn't the best thing, but it wasn't my fault. But if we have to admit it was, then we've got usually at least one more strategy, one more lie we can tell ourselves. And and that is, well, it wasn't as bad as that person. It wasn't as bad as what that person did, all right? It wasn't as bad as as, as how that person did this and and what that person did. And and, and again, Coco could have said, well, have you seen what the elephant did lately? I mean, have you seen the mess the elephant has made of things? You do that. Yeah, but at least I didn't do this. I only had one affair, not multiples. I only did this at one night stand. Whatever it is, I only yelled at you a little bit. I mean, I've heard people say, but I only hit her one time. What? Yeah, but it wasn't as bad as somebody who does it. We do this. And, and, and as it says already on the screen, when we tell these lies, the first person we're lying to is ourselves. I think so often when we tell these lies... What we're telling ourselves first is, is we're trying to protect ourselves. We, we tell these lies so that we don't have to deal with the pain of feeling guilty. We don't have to deal with the hurt of, of, of admitting. Guilt is a powerful emotion. Guilt is a powerful emotion. It can crush us. It can feel so terrible. And, and, and when we did something wrong, we start to lie first to ourselves. And, and the fact is we can tell ourselves over and over and over again enough that we didn't do it, that we'll rewrite history in our own minds and we will genuinely believe. No, I never said that. I never did that. We will get to a place where we genuinely believe that, where we, we believe the lie. Even though we did it, we convince ourselves we didn't, or, or we always are coming up with extenuating circumstances. I don't have to feel bad about this because it's not really my fault. And I'm not as bad as other husbands. I'm not as bad as other wives. I'm not as bad as other kids. I'm not as bad as this. I'm not as bad as that. And, and, and one of the main reasons I think we lie to ourselves is we want to avoid the pain of feeling guilty. It hurts so much 
when we come face to face with our guilt. You, you've had that, that struggle of, of admitting it. And, and so we have all these strategies, but every once in a while, every once in a while, genuine guilt breaks through. It, it might be at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're lying in bed. It might be when you do that thing you said you weren't going to do again and you realize this is not a small deal. This is not somebody else's fault. This is my fault. And you say to yourself, it was me. It was my fault. And and it was as bad as that other person did. The fact is it was probably worse. Those moments are, are really difficult. They say they can be overwhelming. If you know the reality of, and I'm not talking about false guilt. There's plenty of false guilt out there. I'm not talking about that. But if you know the reality of real guilt, you know that it feels like you're just being crushed. You know, you just feel like you're just being overwhelmed by this sense of how bad you've been on what you've done wrong. And it just is overwhelming. The psalmist in Psalm 130 knows what this is like. The psalmist says this in the opening verse. He says, out of the depths I cry. And we're going to see he's in the depths because of his guilt. But he says, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. God, out of the depths I cry. That that idea of the depths is, is either the deep sea with the waves crashing over him. Guilt can be like that. If you've had that, if you've had that sense of how you've damaged another person, how you've damaged God, it can be like a wave that just comes crashing over you again and again, and you can't get up, and you can't get a breath, and it just keeps coming after you. It's either that, or the image can also be of, of, of a deep cistern or a pit. Throughout the Middle East, there are these, these pits that are really natural. They have a smaller opening at the top, and then they're often quite large and smooth inside. They were often used to hold water. They became wells. But if you fell into one of those, you couldn't get out because it was smooth and it got small at the top before it opened up. The psalmist says, that's where I am. I'm I'm in the depths. I'm in the pit. I'm in just this horrible place because of what I've done, because of my guilt. And and, and so that really raises the question I want to think think about with you this morning and that that, that Psalm 130 looks at and answers. And, And that is, what do we do? when we find ourselves in the depths because of our guilt. What do we do with this overwhelming sense of guilt? And again, the real stuff, false guilt, give yourself permission to let go of it. And and, and little things, excuse yourself for the little things, but I'm talking about real genuine guilt. When you come face to face with the fact that the Bible says that all of us have blood on our hands, that all of us are sinners, that all of us are just primarily selfish, what do we do with that? I, I actually did a little bit of study this week. I, I went online, I read some articles, I read some books and so on about what, what does our culture say? What does our culture say about what do you do with guilt? And, and it's recognized. I read some things from psychology today and it's recognized as a real thing that psychologists need to deal with. People come in with guilt. What was interesting is there were a number of, not, certainly of course not all, but, but a good number of psychologists who said, okay, what you've got to do when you feel like guilt is you've got to blame it on your parents and or the church, okay, and then recognize guilt is an unhelpful feeling. Okay, the reason you feel guilty is because society has used, society has used guilt to control people, and, and it's a construct, and it's not real. There's no real guilt. It's just something that you've been taught to feel. And so recognize that it's unhelpful. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make anything different. And, and, and so you've got to just kind of declare it unhelpful, okay? 
and, and move beyond it because it's, it's really your parents' fault that you feel guilty. They taught you that there was this thing called guilt. They taught you that you should feel bad. They wanted to control you. It was the church's fault. It's Ron's fault. It's, it's who's ever fault. But that's where the problem is. That doesn't really solve anything if guilt is real, if there's genuine right and wrong. Kind of the opposite end of the spectrum that I ran into, and, and again, this is one I can relate to, and, and, and maybe you can as well, and that's that, that we, we might try to decide that, or we might decide that, that, that we're just that bad. When we become face-to-face with the reality of our selfishness, when we become face-to-face with our willingness to throw others under the bus, when we come face-to-face with how much we can hurt somebody else, we can just come to the place where we decide that, you know what? We're going to give up on ourselves. We're better off in the pit. That's where we belong, and we're nothing, and we're nobody. And, and I've seen people just go on and say, that's just who I am. I'm bad. always will be. It doesn't matter. I can't change. And I'm just going to say, that's just who I am. I'm in the pit, and I might as well live like it. A little less drastic than that. We might try to run away from anything that reminds us of our failures, reminds us of our sins. We, we try to just say, well, I feel guilty about this, so as long as I don't see that, that triggers the guilt, I want to remove those triggers from my life. What I'm talking about here is imagine that you have aging parents, and you know you should visit them. And there's a lot of false guilt on this one because aging parents think you should visit them 24 hours a day. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuinely avoiding them, Okay. Parents overdo it sometimes, we underdo it sometimes, okay? And I'm talking about those times when you say, you know what, I'm just avoiding it. I'm not doing what I should do. This is not bad guilt. This is the, I'm not doing it. So you have options. You can either go visit or you can just take all their pictures off the wall. You can just make sure whenever they call, you delete that call so you don't have a record of it that you have to screen, go scroll through when you look at your phone, we do that. We try to put ourselves in situations where I don't have to see what I feel bad about. I don't have to see what makes me feel guilty. That way, I, I, I don't feel guilty. I don't have the triggers there anymore. It's just the triggers that are missing. You're still guilty. Or, again, one that a lot of us have tried or many others have. We might turn to alcohol or other substances to drown our sorrows. I just want to feel better for a time. I just don't want to hate myself so much right now. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like you should hate yourself? What do you do when you say, I'm bad. I, I did a bad thing, and I'm bad, and I, I, I shouldn't have done what I did. Again, the psalmist has a different idea. He does what we ought to do, but which is shocking. The psalmist brings it to God. And at one level, you know, I want you to say, well, of course, we're in church. That's the answer. We bring our guilt to God. But part of what I want to challenge you with this morning is to think about just what a shock that is about just how strange that is. Back to Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Let, 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 let your ears hear. And I've got, I got to tell you about this. And he goes running to God, okay? He goes running into God's presence, and he says, look at what I've done. And, and on the one hand, again, you say, well, that's, that's the Christian answer, and it is. But just stop and think about what a strange thing it is that we do that, okay? Because in so many ways, so many ways, God is absolutely the last one we want to go to when we've got blood on our hands, is the last one that we want to go to. And, and we know why, because God is perfectly holy, 
He can't just accept sin. He can't just say, that's all right. I'll take you just the way you are. God can't do that. He's holy. He cannot take us just the way we are. He he has to get rid of it or get rid of us. He cannot just take it that way, all right? He's perfectly holy, and and he cannot accept sin, and he's perfectly just, and he cannot just overlook it. He can't just say, ah, no problem. We'll throw it away. It's got to be paid for. And so to come into God's presence, to confess our sins, is an unbelievable thing to do. It's crazy. Let me try to give you one emotional example to try to get you to get it and understand it right here, okay? Here, I want you to think about this situation. You're out with your spouse. If you're not married, imagine you have a spouse, okay? You're out with your spouse, um, and you go for dinner. You actually like Wendy's, so you go to Wendy's for dinner. It's the middle of January, roads are icy, you're driving home, you hit a patch of ice, I mean, there's just all over, and you slide into the ditch far enough in that the car is stuck, you realize you broke your arm, and your spouse broke her leg. What do you do? Who do you call? 911. Obvious, right? You're going to call 911, and you're going to call family. You're going to get the police there. You're going to get an emergency. It's an accident. You're going to get them there. That's who you call. There's no question about it. You say, man, it's so icy. The cops are going to say, yeah, we understand. It's, it's crazy out here. So now let me change three things about our little story, three things about our situation. First, you're not coming home from Wendy's. You're coming home from, well, we'll go to the Outback. And you had way too much to drink. It's middle of summer, not the middle of winter, and there's no ice on the roads. And the person next to you is not your spouse, it's your lover. Now you're in the ditch with a broken arm and she's got a broken leg. Who are you going to call? You are not going to call 911, at least not with a lot of pain, without a lot of pain, right? At that point, you're going to say, I don't want the cops to show up and I don't want my, my family to show up. At that point, you say, I, I, I gotta, you're going to try to find somebody who's going to take you home or take you to the hospital and the, your lover to another hospital, but you're not going to want the police to show up. You don't want those flashing lights there because all of a sudden you realize you are in deep weeds. And if you have that sense of saying, at that place, I can't call the cops. I can't because I'm drinking and I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to lose my license. It's going to cost all this money. You, that's what it's like that when we're in the ditch drinking with somebody else's wife and, 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 and all of this stuff, that's what we're saying. We're coming into God's presence. We're saying, God, it was not an accident. God, it was not understandable. God, I am just a mess. And it did this ultimately to you. That's confession. You know, I think so often, I, I know some of you are too young that you have not watched The Sound of Music. If you haven't, shame on you. It is one of the great movies of all time, and you should watch it today. But, but there's a, that scene that I, I think about all the time where, where the, the Van Trapp family is getting away, and they stop at the, at the, the nunnery and, and then the, in the church there, and and, and they run off in the Gestapo. They go out to their cars to chase them down. The Nazis to go chase them down. And their cars won't start. And the mother superior says to one of the nuns, do you have anything to do with this? And the nun kind of takes the carburetor out and shows it to her like this. And it's kind of like... And everybody smiles. And I think sometimes we think that's what confession is. That we come to God and we say, oops, oops, I did it again. <laughs> Me and Brittany, we did it again. Oops, God. So, hey, you forgive me and it's all done. No. No, confession is not oops, God. 
Confession is, God, I can't believe this. God, I can't believe this, what I did. I, I damaged somebody, one of your creatures, with my words, with my actions. The psalmist knows this, Psalm, uh, verse, verse 3. And again, these arrows that he's talking to God here. He, he, he says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? The psalmist knows that when we come into God to confess our sins, we don't stand on our feet, we fall on our faces. Because we realize we have no standing whatsoever. And then comes verse 4, which is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. But we just pass right over it because we've heard it so many times. But God, there is forgiveness with you. And we say, oh, that's right. That's why we go to God. Because he forgives us. And we presume on that. We've grown accustomed to his grace. We've grown accustomed to him doing this for us. And so we just kind of say, and and again, I want you to just stop and think of what a miracle that is. That God is a God who forgives. You see, forgiveness is so much more than understanding. There are some cousins of forgiveness that I think we sometimes confuse it with. Forgiveness is so much more than understanding, okay? It's so much more than that. When when we ask for understanding, what we're saying is, you know, there was a car accident, that's why I'm late. There's something that happened that explains my behavior. And and we need a lot of understanding, and God is understanding. But, but, But... But forgiveness is something much more than that. See, forgiveness is reserved for those times when you can't understand what you did. Forgiveness is for those times when there's no good excuse, when there's no rational reason, when there's no purpose behind it. Forgiveness is for those times. Forgiveness is not understanding, and forgiveness is so much more than excusing. You belch at the table, you need to be excused. You forget to bring the something home to your spouse, you need to be excused. Those small things, yet... We blew it. We did something wrong. It was our fault. But it's not a big deal. But I think so often when I come to God, and, and I should be confessing, what I'm doing is say, God, oh, please just understand. Because if you understood, you'd understand why I did what I did. And just excuse me for those things. You see, forgiveness is something way beyond that. And, and when you ask somebody else for forgiveness as well, it's way beyond that. What forgiveness is. Is forgiveness is asking the other person to pay, the one who is hurt to make that person pay. You're asking them to, to just say, will you, just, will you pay that? Will you keep the hurt yourself? Will, will you not put it onto my account? And that is an amazing thing. That's forgiveness. And, and I think sometimes one of the reasons Christians struggle with guilt is, is we just settle for excusing and understanding, and we ask for understanding and excusing when we really need forgiveness. We don't come clean before God. We don't say, you know, because again, let me just tell you this. Forgiveness from God to us and from us to each other, forgiveness is a miracle. Nothing less than that. Forgiveness is a miracle because you cannot understand it. If you can understand what somebody did, you can then, then you can just understand it and let it go. But when you cannot understand it, that's when you must forgive. The psalmist says, there is forgiveness with you. That is why you are feared. Strange, right? This is the New American Standard Bible. This verse, but that's why you may be feared. Why would I be afraid of somebody who forgives me? This is one of those cases where the word feared is not scared, but what it means is that you may be honored, that you may be worshipped, 
that we can recognize the greatness of you. One of God's greatest aspects is is that God is full of grace. And and so, God, there is forgiveness with you so that we might praise you. And and, and God's grace is so amazing. That's why, again, I, I think we need to understand the miracle of healing somebody, the miracle of raising somebody from the dead is no greater than the miracle of forgiving our sins. We don't think of it as a miracle we don't, because we think we deserve it. We think there's no real cost to it. But it is an absolute miracle. And the psalmist says there's forgiveness with you. And that is why we praise you. That is why we lift you up. And now the psalmist turns and starts to talk to us. Verses 5 and 6, he talks to himself, the arrow that points in. And then he talks to us. He talks to the congregation. He says, I've confessed my sins. And now he says this, interesting. I wait for the Lord. When my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope, I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning, more than the watchman wait for the morning. I wait five times in two verses. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for the Lord. I, I, I wait more than the watchman waits. He waits. And, and again, I think what, what the reason this, what the psalmist is trying to tell us here is, is that he can't control God. If you want to know the difference, think about this, and it's a great test to give yourself. When you're talking to, let's do it with somebody else. Let's say you're going to ask somebody for forgiveness, okay? So I've got to ask my spouse to forgive me. You want to know whether you're asking for forgiveness or understanding or excusing? You want to know how you can tell? Imagine the scenario. You go say, honey, please forgive me for this. If she says, no, I can't. If your response is, you have to, you didn't ask for forgiveness. All right? Think about it, right? If you respond, if you ask somebody to forgive you and they say no, and you say, well, that's not fair, you have to, then you are not asking, then I'm saying you're asking for understanding. You are looking for excusing. If you think somebody has to do it, you're not asking for forgiveness because you can't demand forgiveness. You can't expect forgiveness. Forgiveness is a miracle. Forgiveness is upside down. Forgiveness is, if you are going to that person and saying, I need to apologize, I need to ask for forgiveness, ask yourself honestly, if this person says no, will I say, that's fair? Will I say, that's fair? You have no, I have no right to demand you forgive me. If it's not, then, then check your heart again. And, and, and the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. I know there's forgiveness with him, but it's still his option but it's also his character I'm not in control of God I can't make it happen but I'm confident in God the psalmist waits like the watchman waits for the morning the watchman knows the morning is coming the watchman knows that a new day is on its way and so too when we confess our sins to God when we come into his presence and then honestly say God there's no reason why you should do this I don't deserve it. What I did was it's just not understandable, not excusable. But I'm going to ask for mercy, for forgiveness. You see, that's such a big deal. And we do it so often, we just kind of make a small deal of it. The psalmist goes on and he talks just to Israel this time. Israel, he says, and we can say hillside. Verses 7 and 8, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And with those last words, the poet has become a prophet (laughs) because he himself will redeem Israel from all. And he has no idea, I don't think, of how God would do that. But on this side of the cross, we do. 
that God forgives our sins by himself through his son Jesus Christ going to the cross. See, again, forgiveness is when the one who was hurt gets pay, makes, also makes the payment on it. When the one who was hurt says, I'll just take it into myself and it will stop with me. And that's what happened on the cross. So I, I want to push you on this idea, okay? I want us to be really challenged about confession and about the difference between forgiveness and understanding and excusing because I love you and I don't want us to settle for too little. Like I say, I think so often what we do is we look for excusing, we look for understanding, but that doesn't really wash away our sins. That really doesn't cleanse us. The only thing that does is confession. It says, God, I... I can't demand anything, but I know with you there is forgiveness. So God, I will wait to hear your word of amazing grace. And that word comes in Jesus Christ. And when we've done that, then we can walk away. (laughs) When we've done that, then we can be set free. Again, the psalmist wants his community, he wants this community to know that real freedom comes not with understanding when we need forgiveness. Real freedom comes with forgiveness, and it is there in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend some time just trying to say, God, you know what? I, I, I can explain already a lot of my stuff, but some of this stuff is just wrong. And I want to bring it before you. And I want to just lay it out. Because God, only you can take it away. Only you can wash away my sins. Let's pray together. Father, we spend a lot of time trying to protect ourselves from the pain of feeling guilty because it's tough when we really go there. And yet, we got to go there before we can be free. And so, Father, right now, help us send your spirit to break away all of our defenses. And God, help us to see that it was our fault, that it, nobody else was to blame, that our sins are just as bad as anybody else's, and our only hope is in forgiveness. So we come to you, Father, and acknowledge who we are. And we ask your ears to be attentive to our cry for mercy. We pray this in the blood of Jesus. Amen.